Man. Spooky season time. Watch out. There might be a scary person with candy on their front porch. What is this? Anyway, we're we're three days out from Halloween. Hello. No, it's spooky because they have COVID. That's what's spooky about it. You don't you don't go up to them and get candy from them. That's yeah, terrifying. That's so true. Is trick-or-treating like fully canceled this year? Definitely. I feel like, actually, no, I talked to a, a father recently, a father I know, I don't know him. He was a random guy that I met on the street, dead ass. He had a child with him though. And I was like, oh, um, so is Halloween happening this year? And he was like, yeah, I don't think so because um, I don't want my child to die. And I was like, oh, that's fair. <laughs> Good parenting. <laughs> I don't want my child to die. Yeah. yeah, I don't want my child to die. That's that's really spooky. Yeah, ouch. I don't. <laughs> Anyway, but you can still have a spooktacular Halloween. Honestly, this is kind of like what I want out of Halloween. You don't, you don't have to go and like work for your candy. You can just have it in your house, watch Hocus Pocus and like have a good time. Exactly. Alone. Especially if you have Disney Plus, all the Halloween towns are on there. <gasps> You're I right. Know. I haven't preemptively striked though. Like I, I, they're there, but I'm waiting for the feeling of like true Halloween, like festivity to like be thrust upon me but mm. it hasn't happened yet which i think is kind of due to the fact that like we're not going outside all that often not any more than we need to you know also life is kind of spooky as it is yeah but like actually spooky not like jack-o'-lanterns and orange candy spooky truly truly but yes we we encourage um socially distant Spook- Halloween spooking celebration yeah. spooky yeah yeah, go- yeah. You don't want to be an actual ghost. Ooh, that was a ghost. Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, that was a really awful ghost. He sounded like a fucking pimp. No, it was a ghost in a rush. Like he didn't have time to do ooh, but he was like ooh, ooh and he had to go. <laughs> oh, okay. So he's kind of nervous. He's kind of. Oh my goodness. He's what? like, oh my god, I gotta go to my fucking ghost meeting. This is not even an intro to the episode. But... Yeah, I don't. I don't know what we're doing. It's okay. It's okay. This is what you get. You never know what you're going to get when you tune into What do you get when you guzzle down sweets? Do you know what that's from? This is Willy a song from a movie. Okay, that? great. <laughs> Candy, it's the theme. Okay, anyway. Um, hi, everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Big Fan. Big Fan. Big Fan. I'm a big fan of this conversation, truly. We had the biggest an amazing fan. time talking to one of our... Dear friends, but also yes. a force to be reckoned with, honestly. A, a smart, smart woman who takes the spooky world of artistry that is absent of representation and turns it around into a beautiful world of possibility where everyone's voices can be heard. Yeah, she's taking spookiness and turning it into sweetness. 
Ooh. Full circle, that Halloween intro. Um, we are, of course, talking about Claudia Campos. Claudia freaking Campos. Our lovely guest for this week. We had a conversation about activism and art, the future of the theater industry, representation in yeah. theater, and some hot takes on Hamilton. Hot, lots of hot takes on Hamilton, which, I mean... Every, I mean, if we're going to talk about big fans, Hamilton has a big old fandom behind it. Mm-hmm. Do they have a name like a fan? Hamilites? <laughs> I'm sure Hamil- people, will, people will tell us. They'll be like, you idiots. They're called Hamiltoes. <laughs> <laughs> no! No! Hamiltoes! <gasps> Is that... There's no way. And if that's not it, I am currently starting the petition to change it. That was fully a joke, but it took you by storm. No, Kara, that's so good. You're a genius. I'm kind of embarrassed. Like, my cheeks are a little hot right now. Hamilton's. I was going to say, like, I was going to be like, how much do you love this show? A Hamilton. Oh, my goodness. But while I recover... And before we get into this amazing conversation with Claudia, what are you a big fan of this week? Uh, hmm. A big fan. What is a big fan? I'm a big fan this week of my new bed frame. So... Okay, adulting. Adult, exactly. I think that's why I'm a big fan of it is because I have had the same like bed situation for a number of years now, aka since sophomore year of college, which is like coming on like three years now. And I feel like people like keep beds for years and years and years until they're like Mm. nasty little bits of what they formerly were. Not me. I know that it's important to be comfortable. Mm. So I got not only a new bed frame, but I also got some new sheets, a new quilt, which is, you know, super important. Like we all, we all deserve comfort in this one corner of our life. You know what I mean? You can't work at like optimal levels if you're not getting a good night's sleep, correct? I feel like there are certain things in life you shouldn't like... Skimp out on. Yeah, shouldn't be frugal with. And I think your bed, you spend like one third of your life sleeping. Isn't that what it is? So... Yeah. yeah. Ugh, and what a what a third it is. You want that third to be comfy. Anyway, you want so, that third to be lovely. So this bed frame, tell me about it. Yeah, so this bed frame, I fully found it on Facebook Market. Actually, that's a lie. I didn't find it. My roommate, my lovely roommate found it. And she uh, she showed it to me. And it's funny because I was looking at bed frames on Amazon because I am a slave to Jeff Bezos, as we all are. And there was this one particular brand of bed frame that I was really liking. And they cost upwards of like 200 something for a queen size bed. And so I had that in the back of my mind, but I also was like, I do not want to spend money. So I'm going to hold out on this because I really didn't have the money for it anyway. Anyway, my freaking roommate found this bed frame that actually is the same brand in one of the bed frames I was looking at, but I got it for, hear this people, $80. $80. Ooh, practically stole it. <laughs> I practically stole it, um, except I had to carry it down a really long flight of stairs, and it was absolutely grueling. Like, I think I pulled <laughs> every muscle in my body. Pivot. <laughs> Truly. And so, yeah, I got this new bed frame. I got these new sheets. I got these new pillowcases, and I am just living the life of luxury. Call me London Tipton. Is really great. Yeah, London Tipton is really great. Um, speaking of things that are also really great... I'm sure the thing you're a fan of this week is also really great just because you have such great taste. (laughs) Why, thank you. Um, Yes. No, anytime. 
what am I a big fan of this week? I I'm a big fan of this book. Um, you like reading, right? I, I'm literate. Um, <laughs> Good for but, you. But no, so my my what I'm a big fan of this week is a book, and it's called Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo. It's really cool. It's a kind of a split narrative between these two young women, and um, they're half sisters, but they don't know of their existence until their father's <gasps> parent trap. A little, but with real world stakes because. (laughs) (laughs) Except there's not a vineyard, except there's not a bridal gown designing mother. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, So so this is no spoilers because this is just the premise. But um, yeah, please don't spoil. One one sister lives in New York and then one lives in the Dominican Republic and their father never told them about each other's existence. He just split his time. Like during the school year, he was in New York and then he said that he had like work or business during the summer and he'd spend the summers in the what the heck and one one day he dies in a plane crash and of course he did and so in the aftermath of his death these sisters discover each other and at the funeral they're like wait he was your dad he was my dad (laughs) anyway so um not at the funeral but they they discover each other and it's a really beautiful story about them kind of finding a mirror in each other that they didn't know that they had and working through um, grief and that they share like similar like traumas with dealing with toxic masculinity and men in their communities. And so it was just really a beautiful story about women, young women coming together and confiding in each other and having like emotional ties that they didn't know existed with another human being. So it's really beautiful. And the kicker is that- I love a kicker. Love a kicker. The entire book is written in verse. <gasps> oh, does form does form meet function? Like, what's the point? I think because you're getting these kind of bite-sized, like, vignettes and, and, and moments of these women's psyches, like, you, you're getting, like, it's just, like, peaks and it, like, switches yeah. between their perspectives. And then after a while, you start to see all the pieces come Come together together. oh that's smart and fun and i feel like that's such a big payoff for readers too is if like in the end you Mm -hmm. see these things all line up to make a cohesive like picture oh yeah that sounds awesome it's just it was just so cool because i've never seen like verse used in long form like that before and yeah like having a novel written by a poet it was it was just really cool to experience i've never read anything like it so that's what I'm a big fan of. Yeah. That reminds me, have you ever heard of the book Bruiser? No. I is it by Neil Schusterman? Someone tell me. Don't quote me on that. Anyway, <laughs> he's like a it's like a YA author. But Bruiser is this book about this kid who has the ability to physically take on people's trauma. Like he yeah, oh, so wow. Yeah, so is it he's able to take on other trauma or he takes on emotional trauma? I think he takes on other people's emotional trauma and then it becomes physical trauma on him. That's what it is. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. So like he meets people, he hears their stories, he is a a healing like presence, but then he like literally bru- bruiser, he bruises up after like experiencing these stories. And I think it's like a narrative that's split between two characters. Um, One person that he meets who has like a very like standard um, written narrative, you know, whatever. And then his is written in poetic form. And so um, Mm -hmm. it's just really interesting. Uh, I have not talked about that book in years, but yeah, that just, that just reminded me of it. So prose and poetry coming together to heal us all. (laughs) Oh, wow. 
Um, but yeah, so speaking of form, dictating content and vice versa. And why it's so important. And why it's so important, we give you this amazing conversation with Claudia Campos. Claudia Campos, y'all. Hi, Claudia. Welcome to Big Fan. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, I am in Miami right now, so pandemic is kind of all over the place. Um, it's literally all around you. It's oh yes, surrounding. COVID numbers are rising rapidly, and everything just keeps opening because we're so smart here. We're just I don't get all, it. I really don't. You know, all all around, just good decisions being made here in Miami, Florida. Couldn't be prouder. No. Yeah. <laughs> We're glad that you're staying safe and doing well. No, one hundred percent. Yes, but... it's 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 um Groundhog Day in Claudia's life. It's just you know the same. <laughs> oh, every day's the same day every in and day out. Every day's the same day. Exactly, exactly. Just day in and day out. Um, in my home, in my room. <laughs> oh, we love that. We love it. Well, it's no secret that we're huge fans of you like kind of obsessed a little bit oh my god a little bit yeah i think that's a good way of putting it just like i might i might be in love with you (gasps) kara what the heck not 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 live you heard it first i'm in love with you too oh my gosh oh my wait what about me Austin, you too. But I, I've already professed my love to you. You know, like I, we've done we've that publicly. Actually, we have we've kissed before. Oh, <laughs> we have um, publicly declared our love to each other. Yeah, there might be there might be an image that's incriminating <laughs> in relation to said action on the internet. But like, if you can find it, that's good for you. Yeah, a, I'm a little, sad. Um, it's a it didn't Easter go more for you guys to find. <laughs> Exactly. I'm. I'm just sad it didn't go more viral than than we thought it would. I, yeah, I agree 100. percent I remember when some gays were like, they they liked it because my caption for it on Twitter was something to effect to the effect of, "Why don't men kiss me the same way my straight girlfriends do?" <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 what is up? Like, why do I get action from the exact like t- group of people that I don't need action from? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, pathetic. Exactly. What's wrong with me? Nothing. Nothing. You're a star. You're a star. No. Um, but yes, no, we, we asked you here today, not because, just because we're in love with you and because we love yeah, you so dearly. Yeah, we like to kiss you. We like to kiss you. <laughs> but um, you also really inspire us and you're somebody that I mm-hmm. look to, not just as an amazing creator and artist in the theater space, but as somebody that really a melds together activism and art and I'm so interested in that and so we wanted to have you here chat about that and I guess just to start what initially drew you to theater like how'd you fall in love with it oh my goodness it's such a long story um because so um I was born in Cuba so when I was when I was little I was just kind of obsessed with performance I was obsessed with Shakira and like I would dance in front of the TV to her music I loved singing I started dancing really young but then realized I hated it because I didn't like (laughs) being pushed up against the wall to do splits like I was like this is definitely abusive so it's yeah no (laughs) I I was like this isn't for me so I stuck to you know singing and I uh 
once I moved to Miami, I, I kind of, it kind of became my favorite thing to just put on shows for my family. Like I would dance at family parties, go around with the hat and ask people to like, give me money. <laughs> oh my gosh. Get that coin. Get that bag. <laughs> exactly. I was, I was like the, the opening act of the party. So, um, yeah. of all of our family parties, it was, um, my sister Liz and I. So I just loved doing it. And then I thought that what I really wanted to do was sing. Like I thought I was going to be a singer. And then I got to elementary school and my chorus teacher was like, Claudia, you know, you, you can't sing. Like you're not, you're not a singer. Ah! You're, you're not very good. <laughs> In elementary school? That's Ex- so early to clip your wings. Exactly. You, exactly. Fucking, you fucking suck. <laughs> My Go voice color. hadn't even completely developed yet. I was like, this is, this is such a choice. <laughs> That's so funny. But um, also rude. <laughs> Miss Sunny, if you're out there, you know, you, you really clipped my wings. Um, Miss Sunny? Yeah. More like Miss Rainy Dull Skies. Like, gosh. Anyway. So I was like, okay, so I can't sing. So we were doing um, a play of A Thousand Arabian Nights, which uh, completely inappropriate for children to do. Like, I was definitely in elementary school. Also just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Aladdin raw- came out and they were like, you know what? It's, it's open for everyone. <laughs> also just completely wrong for us to do you know like we were white yeah. children and there is no reason we should have been doing that play um but again yeah. we were we were children um and so i auditioned yeah. and i was like i pretty much just wanted like one of the small parts in the play that says like one line i was like oh this is this will be fun and i ended up getting cast as the lead as yeah. i was about to say you got the lead didn't you i don't even know why again i i think it's important to realize that i was you know you just have I, this middle eastern look to you claudia oh my no. gosh <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and i bet especially as a child they were just like oh my god yes no and i i, I mean like i was 8 years old maybe i was definitely like it, yeah. it was second grade so um i just didn't understand like you know like I was still learning English I Mm -hmm. had an accent like I was like to me I was like how did I even get this part like how did this happen but it did and I ended up doing the show and I just fell in love like I was like oh wait this is this is something that I'm really good at like this is what I want to do and then from then on I focused and I ended up going to art school in Miami I went to Miami Arts Charter School and I majored in couple different things because I was I also played the viola for a little bit I don't anymore fun fact I didn't know that about you I did not know that you did that oh my god we're learning so much about each other (laughs) (laughs) Um, play play me a tune sometime (laughs) so if I pick up the viola again you guys will be the the first ones to listen so at first I was doing viola creative writing and theater and then um they ended up just making us choose one so I ended up going with just theater and then I did that from sixth through 12th grade, and then I went on to FSU, and I majored in theater. I did their BA program, where I met you two lovely people, and then... Oh, that's where I know you from. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I knew you. I had this, like, sneaking suspicion anyway. Oh, my God. And so... Yeah, that was that. That's pretty much a very. This was a much longer story than any than the two of you wanted to hear. But that's how that's how it happened. No, but it's <laughs> no. That was perfect. Yeah, but I think um, when I, when I ask like friends or peers about like their theater origin story, I think we all kind of have in common like that moment of um, 
something that's unnameable, like that energy, that magic that is live theater and that connection. And I think then as you get older, you start to, you start to see how that connection can be wielded and like the power of theater. So it makes total sense. Sure. Total sense. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I think the magic you feel with an audience when you're performing, I think it was part of the reason I, I was drawn to acting at the beginning was that that connection, I think, is unmatched. Like, I I don't think there's anything similar. Even with film, there's that separation that a you miss a connection. Mm-hmm. You there's a slight yeah. there's there's some there's um an alienation effect there that I think theater takes away completely, and that gives you so many opportunities. Yeah, no, for sure. And so, well, with that and you loving theater so much and like growing up and realizing that it was something that was so important to you. Um, You've obviously been working within theater for quite a few years now. What's the type of art, the type of theater that like continues to inspire your love for the art form? You know what I mean? I think, you know, you guys, I'm going to mention this name so much in this podcast because I'm his biggest fan. Um, And I've I've told him this, he knows, um, but uh, Dr. Samer Al-Saber Woo! was our um, professor at FSU. And, you know, he, he said something to us in one of our classes. And he was, he said, an artist without a cause is no artist at all. And to me, that kind of changed everything. Mm-hmm. That was the moment for me where I, I understood that theater was so much bigger than just escapism and just a performance and just mm-hmm. entertainment there was so much power there. And so, um, so I think that's the, I'm drawn to theater that is more than just entertainment, that is trying to say something, that is trying to affect society in some way, that changes perceptions and tells stories that aren't being told and gives voices <clears throat> to people that don't usually, um, get the opportunity to share their voice. You know, I think, for me, there's nothing more beautiful than seeing a child say for the first time, hey, that's my story up there. Hey, that's me up there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the theater I'm drawn to, the theater that will make a child say, hey, wait, yeah. this is this is for me because that's me on stage. Yeah. No, and I totally I totally get exactly what that feels like. I think all the time to myself what I would have you know, aspired to be, if I had seen when I was younger, like queer representation for like younger audiences, you know what I mean? And I feel like um, a lot of the time, the conversation between like um, sexuality and sexual representation and like the notion of children, like those two things are often like, don't talk about them in the same sentence because ew. But like at the same time, I'm just like, if I had seen something that would have made me feel just an iota more comfortable with the idea of my own homosexuality. I can't imagine like where I would be even now. You know what I mean? Like I'm happy with where I am and I'm like, you know, I strive to like tell those stories that I craved for as a child. Um, But it just makes me think of like what's possible in the future. If those stories are told for these kids that don't get to see themselves. Yeah, exactly. We shouldn't underestimate just how much like, art and media affect you when you're younger like there are times even now when I think why do I have this 
preconceived notion in my head like where did I get this idea from and then you can trace it back to when you were a child and you know stories are being told and you 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 start to learn like subconsciously different things and what you're saying about like sexuality and young kids like there should be like a normalization of certain topics because you're right that kid might feel alien and like what's wrong with me but if they see it they feel less alone Mm -hmm. 110 percent well and there's there's such a notion that theater is such a classist art form you know what i mean Mm -hmm. where it's yeah. like elitist. You, and in the US it kind of and, is. And it is. And, and, and it is. And there's some, and that's why there are, I feel like a lot of young people who don't go into this art form because again, they're like, well, this isn't for me. I'm not up on that stage. It's not my story up on that stage. So why do it anyway? And I, I, I think that's what needs to change. I mean, again, if I think about the first time I really saw my story being told for me that didn't happen until in the heights came out Mm -hmm. which is Mm. um insane because that came out in the late 2000s so yeah that's just kind of crazy that that was the first time that my story was being told up there that there were latinx people from washington heights singing about their home and wanting to go back home and living life with other people from their community that to me that was really moving but that was the first time that I was like oh wait that's that's me I I I I feel seen yeah Mm -hmm. exactly and I think um and talking about a lot of this our experiences in the U.S. obviously because we you know we're spent the majority of our younger years here um and I think theater in the U.S. is a tricky thing because you're right it is seen as sort of elitist you only get access to it in certain ways and the film industry has kind of dominated you know artistic output in this country but we know that you spent some time abroad in London and were able to experience theater there um can you tell us a little bit about that experience the differences that you saw and then also how they were using activism, what we're talking about now in their theater. Oh, yeah. The, it's the wonderful thing about London theater. I think what makes a big difference is that theater in London is subsidized by the government. So that means um, they don't depend on ticket sales necessarily mm. to produce shows and to keep the companies running. I mean, and again, even then, that's saying a lot. We can't pretend that the National Theater gets the same subsidy as the Almeida. Yeah, you know what 100%. I mean? It's it's very different. The Almeida still needs to put butts in seats. Like, they need to get people there in order for the company and the theater to survive. But because the companies are subsidized, I think they are a lot more willing to take risks with the pieces that they're putting out. They are willing to challenge their audiences and make them feel uncomfortable, make them think about things differently, tell these stories that I guess we're not really telling in the States because, and I mean, and and that's saying, when I say we're not telling them in the States, I mean, we're not telling them on Broadway. You know what I mean? Because I think- On a large, large consumer scale. Yeah. In the, in the commercial in the commercial realm, especially. exactly because I I know that there are regional theaters out there that are putting out really amazing work. I mean, I work at a regional theater and I'm very proud of the work we're producing, and it's work that is representative of our community here in Miami. So, but when I when I talk about theater in the United States, I mean, yeah, on a large consumer scale, Broadway 
these stories aren't being told. I mean, we're seeing Pretty Woman the Musical and... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Again, like this... Which makes me so sad because I love Julia Roberts, but then they just had to go and make another basic-ass movie musical. <laughs> exactly. It's not... They're not pieces that are making people... Changing the game, making people question identity and the racial war going on in the States and, you know, yeah. the different um, experiences of different people going on in this countries. Yeah, they're just not challenging people. It's just plain and simple. And I think that's what you're pointing to is that one of your favorite things about theater is how it has the potential to challenge people for the hour and a half, two hours that they are sitting in that seat that they paid for. You know what I mean? Because that's the other side of that magical connection is yes, it can make you feel seen. Like you're saying that like you can see your story up on stage and it can be a really like wonderful and warm feeling, but that connection can also be used to open your eyes. And I know for me, some of the biggest moments of, whoa, I need to question how I've been living my life this thus far has been in live theater experiences. Exactly. And I mean, that it's, it's, I mean, Brecht believed that theater needed to be a completely like alienating experience. It had mm -hmm. to, people sitting in the theater needed to be aware, I am watching a show and I am, you know, I'm not, I'm separating myself from what I'm watching so that I can understand this better and logically think yeah. through these ideas. Um, yeah, as opposed to falling into complacency. Exactly, or just completely submitting to the experience to the point that you are no longer digesting what exactly you're yeah. consuming and held liable to like how you're um observing this art and how you're like processing it. exactly exactly and i mean i we'll get into this later but i mean brechtian form of theater that alienation effect can sometimes be harmful because i, I personally think in order to get somewhere with the audience we need to use empathy we need to reach mm -hmm. them on a deeper level and sometimes that alienation doesn't let us get there i totally agree and totally know what you mean yeah i think too because using theater as a powerful tool um it it's like that accessibility like sometimes we can talk about these issues like of identity and race and all these harder issues because it's more accessible through theater like we can digest it better because we're seeing it through art and so like it, the alienation balance has to be in check because if you turn them off then they're not going to be able to really you know meet you there and go on that journey exactly exactly and so yeah some of the some of the best pieces i i saw in london were com were very challenging for the audience i mean one of the best pieces i ever saw um, was Ear for Eye by Debbie Tucker Green. And I remember leaving the theater and thinking, this is some of the best theater I've ever seen. And everyone that I spoke to was like, really? I hated it. And I was just <laughs> so confused. Um, I didn't understand. Um, but I think it's because um, it was a three-hour show. It was a three-hour production, no intermission, three acts. And it was about the Black American and Black British experience. And there was an aspect of it that was alienating. And that made people, it was meant to make people feel uncomfortable, white people in the audience. And I think white people weren't prepared for that. They weren't prepared to deal with, with really sitting without getting a break mm -hmm. and thinking through this. 
but black people in Britain and in America don't get a break from thinking about these issues. That was the whole point. So, and to me, that was brilliant. Like, I was like, this is, this is it. This is going to change the game forever. And it was very eye-opening to me to notice how many white people did not like the show. And a lot of what I heard, people's comments were, oh, well, they didn't try to connect with us. They, they, the show lacked empathy. And I'm, I just think that shows how they missed the point completely. Um, Mm -hmm. The show had some very specific goals. And the fact that they missed it because they were so focused on, oh, well, it, it kind of felt like they were saying, well, that wasn't my story being told, so I'm checking out. And to me, that was it was very telling. But I think the fact that the royal court was able to put on that show um, and make it happen, and there are many shows like that in Britain happening right now, is incredible. It's, it's part of the reason I miss London theatre so much. I don't think we see productions like this in the States. I think that show is a perfect example of like form meeting content and working together, which I think theater does, has the freedom to do a lot, um, using the form as a way to make certain thematic things come to life. And it plays off of that live element because you're right, like when you're watching uh, a movie or a television show, which are powerful in their own right, but they you, you have the option, especially now in a streaming world, to pause, to turn it off, to walk away. But when you've paid money, when you've paid money and you're sitting in this seat and like it's a social aspect too of like I can't leave like I have to stay here and the fact that they use that kind of social psychology as well within the show is I think is brilliant in the form of it as well yeah yeah and I mean act two is just act two of ear for eye is a white professor talking to a black student about a white school shooter and it's just them going in circles in this, literally going in circles. The, the scene was directed so that they were on a turntable moving around while they have this conversation. And the conversation is so exhausting because mm-hmm. both of them are going in circles as they're speaking. And it, again, it's exactly black women have to go and speak in circles over and over with white men that they they have to keep repeating themselves and keep making their point over and over until so that they're listened to and even then sometimes they're not listened to mm-hmm. oftentimes by white men yes that act falls into yeah form meeting content and live theater can do that because there's a suspension of disbelief that they can play off of so after seeing all of this theater during your time abroad also you know after seeing a plethora of theater during your time in the states and being in theater um have you gleaned your own sort of personal approach to creating art like what like what is important to you when it comes to making theater that inspires others and you know is a force for change yeah i think um i mostly focus on directing now i think that is the route that I want to go on so but I I started off as an actor so I'm I very much think like an actor and um I respect actors very much I think they're brilliant and they're amazing to work with so in my creating process I try to make it a very collaborative environment 
I try to involve everyone on the team as much as possible. I'm very much a director that says, hey, what did you think of that? Did that, do you think that worked? And I mean, it doesn't mean that I always um, take everything that everybody gives me. Obviously, that's that's difficult um, because <laughs> different people have different opinions. Um, but I do try to make art that is collaborative and that shows different points of view, not just my point of view, because to me, that's not interesting. Um, I think the best art is, is made when great minds are put together. And so, and so I try to pick pieces that again, will, will ch challenge audiences, will make them think pieces that kind of scare me sometimes and that intimidate me. And from there, I just, try to get a team of people that I trust and I respect and I know that I work with well and we collaborate in the rehearsal room and from there we just we go from there. With that being said what was one of your favorite projects to work on? Did you have a really amazing experience with one over another? I think every piece that I've worked on has has had a little piece of me in it. I've, oh. I, I give my heart to everything that I work on I think. Um but I directed my sophomore year of college. I directed Confessions of Women from East LA by Josefina Lopez. And it was about Latinx women living in the United States. And so I directed it in my house. It was an immersive production of the show. People would follow the different actresses into different rooms and they would experience the monologues with them. And that's probably th my favorite experience, the, the best piece of art I've gotten the chance to create just because for me, it came at a time when I was really struggling with um, feeling at home and struggling with my identity in the school of theater and where I fit in. And I was trying to discover what I wanted to do with my art. Again, I, I was thinking a lot about what Samer said about an artist without a cause is no artist at all. So it was a time where I was thinking, well, what do I, what do I want to be making? What do I want to be putting my energy into? Because before that, I had been doing pieces that I wasn't necessarily proud of, that I wasn't necessarily proud of taking part in. So this was the first production that was that made me proud in a way that I was like, wait, this is something that I actually, I'm really proud to be putting out there. Um, and so I got a group of eight women, I think it was eight, um, <laughs> together, and they were all Latinx women. I gave them the scripts. I said, please do this with me if you have the time and you're able, and we would rehearse individually and then once we got together we rehearsed in my house together and they helped I performed in the piece as well and so they helped me direct my monologue and I directed theirs but again it was a very collaborative experience um we all kind of put our input into it ourselves into it there was I added some music that wasn't necessarily in the script. I added that immersive element, which is the, the show isn't necessarily supposed to be performed like that. But I just thought there was something so special about being in a Latinx woman's house mm. and experiencing those monologues in this really intimate setting. Um, it goes back to our conversation about ear for eye, where when you ask someone to 
to sit in that room, that very tight room with someone there, you can't leave, you can't escape, you have to confront what is being told head on. And that's, that's the beauty of immersive theater. It's, it's, you are in there with them in that room, they are touching you, they are speaking directly to you. And to me, that was, that was everything. And just seeing all the Latinx people that went to see the show and it's really moving to me how many people said, oh, well, you know, like I had never been seen in the school of theater until this piece. That's that. That's when I, I realized, oh, wait, the stories we tell matter. Mm-hmm. And and they change people and they allow people to feel seen. No, absolutely. And I think what it sounds like to me is that Confessions was a show that was like your breaking out moment, like you breaking free from this like I think age-old mentality that is theater people because believe it or not theater people are also resume builders and we do shows all the time whether or not we actually give a fuck about the message because we feel like we Mm -hmm. need to have that on our resume in order to get to the next project you know what I mean and it's just so seldom I've experienced this so many times where I I'm like part of a show, but I don't care about what it's really saying. I'm just doing it because I'm like, I like theater enough that I want to be doing it. Like, I love this art form so much that I'll do a piece even if I don't really care about it. And so for you to like do that show, I think is so brave and just so inspiring. You know what I mean? Like you literally said, okay, well, nobody's doing this. So I guess I fucking (laughs) will. You know what I mean? Like, but like for real. And you know, because we've, no, Neil, we've seen your wonderful journey. But I think this moment, like Austin said, is really important because it's finding your autonomy as an artist. I think, especially in theater, especially if you grew up in it and grew up doing it, it's like that hustle mentality of like, you need to be a team player and you need to do this and you need to do that. And like, how much do you love it? Are you going to prove how much you love this? Mm-hmm. At the expense of individuality all right. the time. And that's, right. And that's not all theater and that's not all shows. But I think that mentality is definitely kind of burned into you from a young age and so being like I have control over the stories that I tell and like that matters and realizing that and taking it a step further like you did and actually putting it on and proving to yourself that I can do this and I have I have authority over my own artistic journey and I think one you know one of the things that I came to terms with at Florida State I mean again I'm I'm from Miami um so we live in a very strange bubble <laughs> of this country where, because there are so many Latinos here, Latinx people here, I had never really experienced prejudice against my ethnicity until I went to Florida State. And I realized that some of the stories that I was taking part in were harmful. Mm. Were I mean, I before I did Confessions, I had played the role of a maid and mm-hmm. I did it because again I when I when I did that show I, I was a freshman I didn't I didn't know any better it was the first time that I had gone cast and it, it was, was just, an opportunity it was a resume building mm-hmm. moment and it, it's that hustle that you're told to like get through and what the and what it means does not matter but in the end you know I was playing a maid who was mm-hmm. in the show for a scene and most of the scene was me yelling And I didn't realize how harmful that trope was and what I was 
and that I, I didn't realize my responsibility in participating in that. So after doing that show, I just said, I can't do this anymore. And I, I, I understand that there's a, a sort of privilege that comes with that, that there are some people who need to continue playing these parts because they have bills to pay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, in the real world, they have bills to pay and they depend on those parts for to get a meal on the table for for their families. So I completely understand that. But I just I I knew that at the moment I had the opportunity to say, actually, I don't want to take part in these productions anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go show people that Latinx women are more than just maids that scream. Mm -hmm. There is so much more to us. There are so many intricate parts to all of us. And that was that was really important. And that that's why Confessions came about, because I, I was like, I have a responsibility to my community. And I, 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 I really think, you know, you asked me earlier, what do I what is my process to creating? I want to create work for my community. I want to put out work that speaks to them, that makes them feel seen, that changes people's perceptions of, of my community that even challenges the people in my community. So I think, you know, one of the, the, the second, one of, well, many of the monologues in Confessions bring up some really harmful things that happen in the Latin, within the Latinx community. I mean, there's a monologue about a woman that left her Black boyfriend because her mother didn't let her be with him. And... We there are a lot of issues with racism and colorism in the Latinx community. And it was so important to me that that was being told and being brought up. And, you know, there was a lesbian woman who married a man and she comes out in this monologue when she's older and her husband has died. And she she realizes this is the the first time she's she's being honest with herself. So. I think being able to share my community with people who don't always get to see the intricacies of of it, but also be able to challenge the people within my own community is really important. I don't think so. There's there's two sides to to it. It's both challenge the community you're creating art for and also open this up to to everybody else to to see and and take part in the conversation as well. Absolutely. And that's first of all, that's beautiful. And um. I think that's it's so amazing that that's like your driving mission as an artist and it's just going to blossom and fill up all the art that you make because you have that you know burning inside of you um but I think like you said you explore nuance it gives you the opportunity to you know okay now that we are in this realm of representation it's not just the bare minimum of representation it's like going into the cracks going into the complexities um because now that we have this place we can explore. So it's like when we talk about representation, it's not just, you know, that bare minimum of of having, you know, certain people of different races on stage or different sexualities on stage. It's about opening up their stories so that their race or their sexuality isn't the most interesting thing about them. It's like they're humans and let's explore deeper into them. Right, exactly. And, you know, I think confessions, especially with with everything going on in the world right now, I go back to that show a lot. Mm -hmm. I... I think about it a lot because I think specifically my community, the Latinx community has gone away for too long um, with not taking part in these conversations about the harmful acts in our community, Um, colorism, homosexuality, this 
we specifically when when it has to do with colorism like for a long time we we said oh well we're all latinx all of us are latinx that is our community it doesn't matter if you're black or white or you know that's we identify as latinx but the thing is there is privilege that comes with being a white latinx person and it is a completely different experience to being a black latinx person and what happens is you know we grew up grow up in our home countries at least you know that's that's what happens happened to me like you grow up in cuba and in cuba you're white but you move to the united states and you're still white we're we're white i'm white but now i'm not the same white as courtney so mm-hmm. so my experience is different to courtney but very very different to the black latinx person or the black cuban in my community so and for a long time we didn't have those discussions we so we've taken up space and voice we've taken up poc spaces even though we have white skin and our experience is very different to a black latinx person's experience so there's there's a lot of intricacy there and mm-hmm. i think we as latinx people need to figure out how to maneuver that and um have these discussions and maybe start questioning what spaces we go into and we should be allowed to go into and which ones we're not. And so speaking of that, I mean, in relation to theater, what kind of voices and perspectives do you think need to be showcased even mm-hmm. more in theater? You know what I mean? Because to like to, to talk about these intersections, like Kara was saying, and so often that it's like the bare minimum, like it's a one black person on stage. Okay, so I guess we've gotten our race quota in we're mm. all good um all, it's great and that's just not true anymore it, it's it should have never have been the standard but like especially now we have all learned um that that's not quite enough for anyone and so like what what voices do you think need to be uplifted even more um intersectional or not you know what i mean i i think right now what i'd be really interested in seeing is yeah, more intersection, more intersectionality in the stories that we are telling. So, you know, what is a black Latinx transgender woman? What What is her, her story? Mm-hmm. What does she have mm-hmm. to tell? Because I think that's what I'm really interested in right now. Um, I think we're seeing some film pieces come out. I mean, Pose came out and I think it's revolutionized Such a television. Good show. Oh my God. Um, and so I want to see pieces like that in theater. I want to see more of the transgender experience being explored, more transgender voices on stage, more transgender actors on yeah. stage. I think that's and and maybe I'm um ignorant and I it's it's on me to look for these pieces because I know that they're out there, so it's just about me doing that research as well, but I want it to be mainstream. You know, I want to... Yeah, yeah to ele- elevate those stories. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You want access to it, you know what I mean? And that's not a lot to ask for. That's the bare minimum. Exactly. I, w- I want to see that piece win a Tony. I want to see it be the next mm-hmm. Hamilton, you know? So I think mm-hmm. that's that's where I'm at right now. I want to see more interna- intersectionality in the stories we're telling. Um, yeah. I think In the Heights was, you know... The, latinx experience i'm saying this in quotation marks because you can't see it she's doing quote fingers guys. exactly (laughs) (laughs) um but the latinx experience looks so different for so many people so 
Yeah. How does that shift? You know, like what what is mm-hmm. I want to see more aspects of the Latinx experience. I want to see yeah. Afro Latinx stories. I want to see transgender Afro Latinx stories. Um, I want to see LGBTQ plus Latinx stories. So that's that's yeah. what I'm interested in. I think that's where we need to move forward yeah. now. Yeah, I think. I well one I totally agree and I think that's like the responsibility that like artists here on out have is to like really start thinking about how any one given identity is not should not be so simple as to be like oh this one show covers it all you know what I mean right like that's just impossible there's no Mm -hmm. way no how and as big and as like um art form changing something like Hamilton or in the Heights is or a show like Pose like there are there are still limits to what they can do you know what I mean it's an hour and 45 minutes you're in there um an episode or a play like it's like there's only so much it can do and so I think it's all about us realizing that as amazing as these works are um there's limits and we need to be prepared to continue asking for more to see more. I think of it this way in that I there are countless, countless retellings of stories about white heterosexual relationships, every single rom-com you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> so if, if we keep exploring that topic in that corner of humanity, why do we make one thing about this topic and then just leave it? Like if, if we're yeah. willing to keep revisiting certain things that are traditionally more white and more heterosexual why can't we apply that same exploration to these other things like the market can take it like if we've put so much of this one story into the market then we can we can put more of this other one into right it's the man trying to control the narrative (laughs) (laughs) it's also i mean looking at other plays over time i mean they shift Looking at Hamilton from a 2020 lens, I mean, Hamilton, it has so many harmful tropes. It is not the perfect show in the least. Um, It sends a really harmful narrative out into the world. And I think when it came out in 2016, people said, oh my God, this is the best thing that has ever happened to the theater. And it may, it, it may have been honestly, because it opened so many doors for so many artists of color and nobody can take that away from the show. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it's still putting out harmful narratives. So as we grow and evolve, as time passes, we need to start evolving our art as well. Mm -hmm. Just for, just to clarify, can you go into maybe like some of the the harm you think that does? No Hamilton hate, but you you have to be critical of the things you love. Um, Yeah, But just because I'm interested, and we've talked a little bit about it before, but just going a little more detail of um, the other side of that coin, just for a minute. Well, I think um, I can't, I'm not Lin-Manuel Miranda, I can't get into his brain, although I I wish I could. I wish I could just uh, sit him down. (laughs) Brilliant, smart man. Also, he's so rich now. Sit him down and be like, so, sir, what's, what's, what was, what was going on in your brain? What's happening? But from when I saw, when I heard Hamilton for the first time, I felt like Lin was trying to say black people and indigenous people formed this country, you know, that this country stands on their backs. This is, you know, that they, they built this country. We, we stole it from indigenous people. We abused and, and 
killed our black people in this country and and i think they this country would not exist without them so and i think that's why he cast the founding fathers as they as he did um but the harmful what actually happened is that this story of a slave owner hamilton is now being played by a person of color and being somewhat idolized even though I, I do think there are there are aspects of, of Hamilton that are are shown in a negative light in the show, but still, it's it, the the show puts him up on a pedestal and puts all of these slave owners up on a pedestal, but makes it palatable because they're being played by people of color. But exactly, yeah, Every, no, I, it, that Hamilton is absolutely like a romantic version of like what we would like. It's like the way we'd like to give back to people of color by showing like you were a part of this. You were so fundamental to the creation of this nation. And so that rhymes. <laughs> okay, Lin-Manuel. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, I know. Thank you. Here I am. Drop the verse. Coming Drop out the verse. of me like bars. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just a very romantic version of that narrative. And that's on a given day. That's like really nice and to think like oh my gosh this is beautiful and awesome but if we're looking for like the the meat and bones of how these people were treated it doesn't quite hit well the and mark. it's it's hard because when you see people of color on the stage playing Aaron Burr and playing Jefferson you can forget that these people were slave owners mm-hmm. and did very harmful things to black people. And I think I think that's really dangerous. I think it's dangerous to put that narrative out there. Um, and I think it's a it's a piece of escapism. It, yeah. it really I think, is. It's, yeah, I think to a degree, really like is. you said at the, at the beginning of us talking about this, it is sort of a in a way of reclaiming of that story because it is, right. you know, like you said, talking about how if we really do dive into history, indigenous people and black people like are the backbone of this country and have been abused and killed um, for many years, centuries, um, still happening today. Yeah. But then, but then again, like you said, because they're being played by people of color, there's no mention of like slave ownership in the show, so you can very easily just be like, oh, like like, and just kind of sit back into it and enjoy it, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's it's just like, yeah. oh my god, the, the founding of this country and and Hamilton and these heroes are heroes. And I'm like, Mm. well, these heroes were not heroes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it reaffirms the, like, idea of, ah, America the beautiful. And, like, rather than America the, we did, we did colonize places. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's more, it's more there to be like, America is great and awesome, as opposed to, America could be better. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really doing work. Exactly. And again, you know, ugh, I wish I could sit Lynn down, you know? He could give me the, the whole scoop. But I, you yeah. know, I'm... He made it in 2016. We've gotten smarter we've gone, since then. We've gotten, you know what I mean? I do want to say that, you know, once you release a piece of art, it's no longer yours. So, like, we're interpreting it and critiquing it because we love it um, in different ways. And you're right, as a piece ages, it should be critiqued and it should grow. So, yeah. But Lynn, exactly. if you're listening... No, just kidding. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, you want to... 
Lynn, if you're listening, um, I didn't, I didn't mean any of it. <laughs> let's Please just, contact let's just me keep right now. Tweeting him. Let's keep well, tweeting no, him let's, after let's this. Let's have and, a conversation yeah. about it. I, I, I would want to, regardless of whatever, I would listen to that podcast if, if exactly. Lynn was yeah. And I think, and I, I, I don't know. I feel like he would be the type to talk. Oh, he would, yeah. I feel like he'd be willing to chat I, us. I up, think a right? lot of it has to do, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the producers on that show were white men. It was on Broadway, duh. <laughs> exactly. So what what does that mean for Lynn? You know, how much was he allowed to exactly. keep yeah. in the show and what how much was he forced to take out? We just don't know. We weren't a part of that process. Absolutely. So but I do think again, like we critique the things we're big fans of. Oh <laughs> yes. Uh, she's yeah. here with so, Ooh, does that mean that we're gonna start talking shit about Claudia? <laughs> no, never. Can we end the podcast like that? We can it can turn into a This is not a roast. You, it's just podcast. a roast. A roast, exactly. It can turn into a roast. Um and yeah. nobody again, nobody can say that Hamilton did not open it did not revolutionize the theater because it did. Like it did, there yeah. were so did, many people yeah. of color on that stage. They were in lead roles. They went on to get so many opportunities after that. So it opened so many doors. I would never take that away from from the production and, and from everyone involved. It's just, it's important to realize that this show isn't perfect. And that's, yeah, yeah. That's I okay. mean, art doesn't no, have to absolutely. be. That, that's not to say, I am, I've never been one to think that critiquing a thing means that it's not good. You know what I mean? Like, like, or that it wasn't good when it was first coming out, coming around. Like, that's just, it comes with the territory of time passing by. That's all it is. You know what I mean? I am not the same person I was when I was born on January 31st, 1997. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it's okay that we talk about a show that came out, what, four years ago now? And talk about how much it's not necessarily this big zeitgeist of a piece that it once was. And also, like, and that's okay. We, you know what I mean? We live in this cancel culture. I think we should normalize growth. I mean, there are some people who have done despicable things, and therefore they have been canceled. And it's like, get out. You can leave the party. But um, <laughs> <laughs> things like this, Trump, you can leave the party. Yeah, you're. You've been. He can canceled. leave the fucking you have party. Cancelled. But um, <laughs> but things like this, <laughs> we should normalize. Like you said, critiquing what you love and growing with it. Have it grow with you. Um, uh, yes. So with all that being said, what can we as artists and also anybody listening who's an audience member and a consumer, what do you think we can do to secure that evolution of theater, secure that future and contribute to diversity in art? You know, I had this conversation recently about how we have so many incredible POC actors and actresses out there, but we need more people to go into producing and directing. Mm. We need more producers. We need more POC producers. We need more POC women producers um, because I think that's that's the way we are going to continue evolving. Like if, if white men are the only ones producing, uh, I don't see We're not going to get far. No, what can we expect? Exactly. I don't see how we can continue evolving. And again, it's very easy to say that. It's very easy to say, well, women, <laughs> POC women, get out there, become producers, do the get damn thing. Get on your horses and ride into battle. <laughs> do the damn thing. 
And it's very difficult. It's hard to mm-hmm. to get into those yeah. rooms and get those doors opened. You have to bang and kick. And and it's hard and it's hard because the industry is so monopolized by white yeah. men. It's all about money. It's all about money. That's like why people aren't able to get in the room until masses scream because at the end of the day, these people with money, they are at the whims of the masses. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If people don't come come to those shows, go see those movies, they won't have their money. But until it's like masses that are literally screaming for it, they don't give a fuck. They really don't. They will remain to do what they're comfortable with. Right. So I I think moving forward, what I really hope that we can see is just a growing number of female POC producers. That would be the dream. I just, I I think about that world and I'm very inspired by it i think i think we can get there it's just it's gonna take Mm -hmm. it's gonna take a um a lot of work it's gonna take a lot of work but i think it's the only way i i see the art evolving i think the the same stories keep being told for a reason so it's about having people in power who can get those stories told and then hire all the POC actors and actresses and everyone and technicians and designers and everyone out there. But it's 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 getting that person in the room that is allowed to make those decisions. And it's hard. It's hard to be a woman producer, a woman director. Um, it's hard to make it to those rooms. And yeah. I, I know we're... Especially when it comes to being taken seriously. You know what I mean? That's like That's like one of the biggest things is like, a woman can have a beautiful and absolutely like stunning career behind her, like a, a million accolades. But then she meets one guy who's like 65 and has been in Hollywood for years. <laughs> and he sees her, her fucking resume and he's like, yeah, I don't know what that means, toots. All I know is you got a rack on you and that means you can't direct. Ew, I hate oh. Austin's impression oh. of like a casting couch producer. But that's, is, but is that, is that not what he no, is? No, it's true. But I, I think just, I just, it's true, it's true. I, it's all connected. So especially when we were talking before about why commercial theater in the U.S. is the way that it is, is... Like you're saying, the people behind the scenes, people who are producing and elevating stories are white men for the most part. And so, yeah. and then they follow the money because of course that's their job. You know, they, they're responsible for the financial security of a piece of art and like elevating those stories. So if we, if we change that balance, hopefully will be restored. And, and then it affects every other, like you said, then they'll cast people of color. It's, it's a, like, tri- it's a trickle down yeah, effect. Exactly. And it's. I think the the responsibility also falls on the the people in power we have right now, you know, the oh, yeah. artistic directors at companies and the managing directors at companies to start hiring people of color to diversify their boards to, you know, hire a co-artistic director that's a woman. Um and I guess just, you know, another thing is start your own company. Like yes. all of our our POC yes. women out there like Get, get a group of your, you know, the people that you trust and you love and start thinking about the mission that you want this company to be and, you know, reach out to people in your community, to the city, to the county, see if you can get funding behind it. And that's that's how, you know, that's another way. Because one of the things is that I, I had this conversation a couple weeks ago, it was that some of these institutions aren't willing to change. 
some of these institutions refuse to change. So yeah, because they have a formula that works. Exactly. Or and so instead of trying to have this big fight and put all of this energy into fighting with the, you know, person of power at this institution that you're trying to make your way into, just start your own with people that you trust and you love and reach out to your city and your community and, and try to get that funding. And again, this is so oversimplified. There are so many yes, easier said than done. intricacies. Yeah, but we're and- never but we're never we're never gonna be able to like get down deep with like all of the intricacies. It's just impossible. So we don't expect you to come up with a foolproof plan to the solution of racial tension in theater. But it's about, I think it's about recognizing, like going back to earlier in this conversation, you have autonomy and authority in your own right as a human being and as an artist. And remember that, you know, remember that yeah. You have power innately just as you are. You are innately enough. And so, re- like, reminding yourself of that. And then, as we're saying, yeah. when you follow that path and, you you know, if you start your own company and you tap into a community that has been shut out of theater for so long, there's your butts and seats. There's your money. Exactly. And you, mm-hmm. and you, can, lever- yeah. you can leverage that. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I was like... Mm-hmm. If you make theater for for your community, you're gonna get those. You're gonna get people there, and yeah. you're gonna get that funding. Yes. Uh. Well, now that we've had this, I've been having so much fun having this conversation. But now that we've explored why we're such big fans of you, we want to know <laughs> what are you a big fan of at the moment? Oh my yeah, god! Yeah. Get into it, sister. <laughs> um. What am I a big fan of? I so. Right now, I recently finished um, The Long Petal of the Sea by Isabel Allende. And, um, is that a I, book? Th- that is a book. It is a novel. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You read? <laughs> I read. Um, I definitely recommend it to anybody, but especially um, with everything going on in our country right now. Um, it is about this... Um, group of this man and this woman that end up uh, immigrating to Chile in the after the Spanish takeover by Franco. So which mm-hmm. nobody like knows about. We weren't taught this in schools, at least like I wasn't. We we I, I like I had no idea about the war that happened in Spain that led to a dictatorship. Like I think I learned like maybe a sentence um, we, I read a yeah. sentence about it in school. And so they they moved to Chile and you it follows them throughout like their life um, in Chile. And it, it, you act, actually end up meeting like Pablo Neruda, who was um, a Chilean poet. So it's kind of like it has all these historical figures that oh, cool. it's just so beautiful cool. to see them come to live in fiction. Yeah. Um, and Allende is just my woman crush of all time she is so brilliant and the women in these books are written so beautifully um they have so much power and autonomy and i just die i i die big big fan um Uh, yes complex female narratives yes Yes. (laughs) um would definitely recommend and then I also recently watched Emily in Paris, which I don't know if um, <gasps> you two have seen. Not yet. It's on Netflix, right? <laughs> Ashley Parks plays Mindy, Lily Collins' best friend, and she okay. absolutely steals the show. She is really? so brilliant. She's the one that says, like, I'd bon appetit him. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She is just um, comedic genius. She is amazing. Um, best part of the show, honestly. And uh, main reason I'm so excited for season two is just so I can see her again. Mm-hmm. I will say. Oh, it's a show? A TV yeah, show. it's a show. It's a TV show. Oh, yeah. I thought, it was a, I thought it was a movie. <laughs> no, it's a TV show. Um, it's from the same creators of Sex in the City and Younger. <gasps> and right oh. before I A homo got... classic. <laughs> right Sex in the City, not Younger. We, I don't know what the fuck that is. Right before we, we started this podcast, I was I was telling Kara that, you know, this I do think this show has come so far since Sex in the City. Sex in the City is 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 very dated at this point. Mm-hmm. Um another show giving us some harmful narratives um yeah but still not far enough like just the fact that ashley parks um who's an asian actress is playing lily collins best friend um you know like the quirky best friend and i think they're again we're falling into these tropes that have worked in the past but i just we expect better we Mm -hmm. want Mm -hmm. more I would have much rather have seen Ashley Parks as the lead of this show. Um, give us Ashley Parks as Emily. I'm I'm down. Um, <laughs> Nothing against you, Lily. <laughs> yeah, it started. Season one was all a dream where they had like switched Switch places. Switch places. It was actually. Oh, I thought Ashley that was Parks. you actually saying that's what it was. No, this no, is this is, is my this big pitch. Putting, we're putting this. This is a Twitter pitch. That this we're is the together. ideal. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I, I still think with everything, you know, it's it's a show about female joy and friendship, and it's a nice little piece of escapism when everything is so difficult right now. Aww. So, yeah. and it well, that's good. We always need so some quickly. Of that. Yes. Exactly. I, will, I feel exactly. like I will definitely, I will definitely check that out and become a big fan, just like you. <laughs> uh, a big fan. <laughs> a big fan. <laughs> Um, no offense to Lily Collins. I think she's great if she's oh, listening. Oh, yes, Lily, you're great. We No, no shade. Just, just, just Yeah, no shade. Just, no, just no, analysis. No. <laughs> yes, it just, Ashley is just so, so good. So good. Just brilliant. Mm-hmm. So. so where can these lovely listeners find you on the internet? Plug oh your my. social media. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I will. My Instagram is Claude's. C L A U D S dot Campos. Um, please feel and free. And what an Instagram it is. True. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know if it's such a great Instagram. It's just pictures. Um, oh, shut of, up. Of literally myself. stop. But I'm trying to change you put that. In <laughs> so much work. You literally are the most Instagrammable person ever. I, you know, I think we should all just become Instagram influencers. Like, why that just. That that sounds like a good life. That to takes live. so much effort. That, yeah, it I'll does. do it if I don't if I don't have to like do the work. People can take pictures of me. <laughs> they can stylize me, and then I get all the royalties. You know, exactly. I'll do an ad with like crest white strips. I don't give a fuck. Oh my um, gosh! But no, we will have your Instagram linked um, in the show notes for the people. Also, oh, because these people goodness. need to find you. Also, I a lot of wonderful resources I found through. Claudia's Instagram so um <laughs> just like in terms of activism and, and helping out she she spreads good word she does. I um I post yeah. a lot um on my on my stories I share so much because I have way smarter people on my Instagram than me and I just share everything that mm. they have to say um and 
I guess I, I'm also the company manager um, at Miami New Drama, um, a up and rising theater company down here. And I'm so proud of the work we create. I'm so proud of being a part of that. So you can also follow their accounts at Miami New Drama and at the Colony Theater. So feel free to yes. give them a follow as well. Why Definitely. not? We'll have everything linked <laughs> theater, below. Theater, theater, theater. We love theater. Well, <gasps> thank you so much, Claudia, for coming on the show. Yes. We love you. And you're so smart and so beautiful. So smart. You're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> the sarcasm. No. No, you are a genius. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I think you're both so brilliant. When I shared um, the announcement of this um, podcast coming out, I was like, I could hear them talk for hours because I think they're brilliant. So, oh. you know, I think everybody else should also follow them and hear Fuck, them talk The bar for hours. just got raised. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm From now so scared. On, only we were coasting before. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but no, thank you so much. We love you. Yes, thank you, Claudia. Thank you so much for listening to Big Fan. If you like what you heard, feel free to subscribe wherever you may listen to your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you on social. You can reach us on our Instagram at bigfanpod underscore. Don't forget the underscore. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. See See you again again soon. soon!